So um, I feel that I'm presenting to friends, or at least colleagues. I know many of you have had sat at the table with you. Um, I'd like to introduce Pam Fortin. She's the Director of Technology here at Foot, um, and she's a great partner to, to work with if you have any questions moving forward. Um, and we thought together we would put some ideas in front of you. Maybe there are things you've heard before. Um, it's an opportunity for a little refresher. Um, or maybe they're new to you. And I think one of the things that we can do as a school is offer up opportunities to build community and bring families together. Because I think one of the things that's happened over time is that parenting has become fairly lonely. And you kind of feel like it, you're in it by yourself and you don't have the extended family per se to, to kind of bounce ideas off of. So hopefully we can create these venues where families can come together, share thoughts, and we can learn and grow together. So where, where to begin? Um, last night I had an interesting conversation with the, she's 16 now, she's going to get, she has her permit, she's going to get her license soon. Um, and I guess the closest way I could describe her is my stepdaughter. Uh, but we had this interesting conversation about the 2020 presidential elections and who should run. And she said, Beth, don't you agree that it's kind of tiring, tiresome and boring that so many old people are running to be president? And I said, hmm, that's interesting. Where are you coming from, CISA? And she said, well, they couldn't possibly know anything about technology in the digital world that we live in. And I thought, huh. All right, and then we argued that for a good hour or so and whatever, kind of unpacked that. And then I don't know if uh, you folks read the New York Times. Um, that's my kind of my morning routine. I wake up and I kind of skim the headlines and there was a piece that was running um, about Silicon Valley and how, there's, there's actually a quote in there about how the devil lives in our phones. You know, I got like a, some um, head honcho in Silicon Valley is like, I won't even let my children near, you know, technology. So. You know, it's out there, and these are good conversations to be having, and we want to share and open up the conversation with you folks. Oh, one more comment before we begin. Um, last year, I had the good fortune to go to a conference, um, and Alec Ross was the presenter, and he worked in the Obama administration, and his job was to be kind of a futurist and anticipate, actually, he has a book out that's called Industries of the Future. And so his predictions for the future, the kind of work that your children will probably be engaged in, fall into several categories. One is using DNA in, um, around health issues and unpacking that and really personalizing treatment for people. Um, big data and analytics and like mega data and you know, trends and advertisement and so forth and really, again, personalizing based on all of these tremendous trends in data. Cybersecurity. How, how can we protect everything that's out there and artificial intelligence? And so there's no, there's no escaping it. Our kids need to have some familiarity with technology and we need to partner in supporting them on how to navigate that in the, in the safest way possible. We decided not to build our own PowerPoint. We decided actually to come back to commonsense.org um, because they put out a lot of well-researched literature for families, for educators, um, and it's a nonprofit organization that just covers everything you can imagine in terms of creating rating systems for things that you might want to view, video games, and so we decided to use their presentation for two purposes. One, because it pretty much delivers the message that we want to deliver. Two, because we wanted to do a really strong marketing for it and say, please use it as a resource. There are a lot of interesting things there, um, including 
a family media plan that you can build at home. So there, there are lots of um, you know, practical tools that you can use at this website. What are your biggest concerns about digital media? Addiction. Mm. Yeah, there's some research that it kind of triggers a dopamine in your brain and your right immediate response. Yeah. I'm sorry. The content. What's out yeah, there? What's actually out there? Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Strengths. Information. Information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what I would do. My son lives in South Africa right now, and I would, you know, that would be really hard to uh, imagine not having WhatsApp to be able to communicate. Yeah. <laughs> and again, back to the 16-year-old in my household, we were talking about like the editing process for writing papers. Because the internet went down in our house with a windstorm the other day, and she said, "Do you want to take me to Starbucks?" And I said, "No." And she said, "Well, I got to write my paper." And I said, "Well, there's a thing called paper and pencil. You know, you could try that." And, and so it was an interesting conversation again because there are certain assumptions that are made nowadays in the way that you get work done. Like I can't imagine my workday without technology. So. But there's also research about how uh, memory retention and all that stuff is much better with pencil and paper than it mm -hmm. is with mm -hmm. computer and typing. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why we persist in our efforts around cursive. So this is really the question that we want to address today, and it comes back to what I think you were getting at. You know, do you? withhold access for as long as possible or do you expose them to it and and the idea really here is a balance and coming back to what your own family values are and being very clear about it and consistent about it because there isn't unfortunately there isn't a simple fix there isn't a, a magic something there isn't the magic curriculum um, and so much of it's going to be about we'll be doing things at school we want to communi keep communication open there are things that you need to be doing as a family to ensure that the kind of the fears that you laid out there, you know, we create a safe environment for our, for our children, as safe as possible. So that, that is really our, our intent, is to talk about the balance and how you can give that some shape. Um, and again, it's, you know, we have an hour today, but the conversation can continue. And I would also encourage you to talk to each other as resources and support and say, hey, what are you doing and, and how, how is this conversation unfolding in your house? Um, a little bit more about balance. So here are a couple of questions to think about. Is your child sleeping enough? 
because especially for teenagers, that's the first thing that might go if they're having super access to, to digital media and if they're actually taking their devices to their bedroom. So one really concrete thing you can do is make sure that the bedroom is like a no device zone. Um, children are supposed to be getting between eight and 12 hours of sleep a day. So how are your kids doing with sleep? Are they still connecting socially with family, friends? And that might be digitally, but also live. Someone mentioned like social connection. Are they having healthy relationships and play dates? How are things going on the playground field at school? Do they have a community, a team? How are they doing in school academically, behaviorally? Pretty well, you know, what are the teachers, what kind of feedback are the teachers giving you? And, and we have a very, you know, this presentation is kind of designed lower school. So some of you, I'm looking out and some of you are, you know, have kindergartners, some of you might have fifth graders. I mean, think about what's developmentally appropriate for your child and, and kind of see what the right match is for you. It's gonna show up differently depending on which grade level you're at. Um, are they still interested in their hobbies? I mean, one of the strengths of social media and digital media is that kids can actually dive deep into interests and hobbies, but is that the only platform where they're exploring those hobbies? Or do they have kind of a rich life um, outside of the digital domain? Are they having fun and learning using digital media? And then another piece that comes out of um, the American Academy of Pediatrics, there are a couple of really nice statements um, that you can access online laying out kind of basic frameworks of things you should take into consideration when you think about digital media for your children. Um, there's a paper for children younger than five, and then there's one from, you know, school-age children and how you should be approaching, and that's where I've drawn some of the stuff that I'm sharing with you, so you can go back and access that if you'd like. Um, but one question that I pose is, how is your child's disposition or attitude after they use, if they, after they have screen time? Do they get off the screen or the iPad and they're feeling a little cranky and out of sorts? Are they arguing for more? Then there are certain kind of cues that you should be paying attention to and say, well, wait a minute, that's a message to me that I might need to handle this a little bit differently. Um, so I said eight to 12 hours of sleep a day and the children should be having one hour of physical activity a day, minimum. So again, that balance, are they getting outside and playing? Did you know, speaking of the American Academy of Pediatrics, did you know that there's also a position paper about play and saying that pediatricians should now be prescribing play? Mm -hmm. Wow. So, I mean, I, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because we're all at foot, right? So we share common values and interests. But keep that in mind, too. Is your child outside engaged in outdoor activities? Um, more than they're engaged in being in on a screen. Well, I told Beth this story uh, last week. We had a bunch of vendors I was walking around with and it happened to be recess time and we walked by both playgrounds, the middle school one and then we ended up over by the lower school one. And th this one gentleman was just grinning. I said, is everything okay? Because I didn't know if I had said something or what he said, I, this is just pure joy. These kids, nobody's looking at a screen. They're all playing, they're all laughing, they're falling down. They're getting skin knees. Their clothes are getting dirty. It's just so refreshing to see. So I just, you know, that's the essence of what we do around here. It's a nice, it's about, it's about balance. Right. And we, you know, 
we, we can't dictate whether children have phones or not, but what we do, a standing rule at foot school, K through nine, is the phone is away, oh. right? If you need it to connect with your families, you ask for a teacher or advisor's permission or so forth, it's kept in your backpack, it's kept in your locker. Um, you know, we'll use technology to support the academic program and creativity, but the kids are not walking around on their phones all day. And I think there are some settings where that, that could be happening. Um, so here's some tips about setting yourself up for success. Use media with your kid. So if you're talking about little people, watch it with them. Read the book with them online and talk about what they're seeing and what they're experiencing. Um, if you're talking about older kids, they're going to want to have some independence. They're not going to want you to sit with them playing the game or what? Well, they might like you to play the game, but uh, they, there might be other uh, activities that they're doing online that they don't want to do with you. Know what they're getting into. Know what they're watching or having access to and have a conversation about them, about, with them about is it developmentally appropriate? What else is embedded in the activity that they're engaging in? Are there, are there advertisements? Are there messages about gender roles? Uh, is there you know, excessive violence? But pre-screen what your kids are going to be consuming if they're eager to, to be engaging in something. Um, know your own rules. One of the activities that I do with the fourth grade parents, we talk about puberty and sex and the conversations that they should or need to be having with their children. And I ask them to do a little homework assignment where separately parents or partners or cohabitators, um, folks engaged in rearing children, separately write down like the messages they want their kids to get. Then they come together, compare notes, and make sure that they're on the same page. And you, you, you almost need to do the same thing as it comes to technology. You need to figure out what are your values, what's most important to you, and then make sure you're on the same page so you can deliver a consistent message. It's a lot easier. Have you heard that thing? I, for, I forget which uh, novel it's from, but it's about leadership and it's about actually uh, in some teaching sessions they talk about it's much easier to come in and have really clear expectations and be a little stern and ease up than it is to come in really easy and then try to impose uh, restrictions or guidelines in the classroom. And so it's the same thing with technology. You want to be really thoughtful about how you want it to roll out early on so that it can roll out in the fashion that you'd like it to. Um, set expectations, rehearse. There's a bit in the literature about as the kids get older, those clearly defined stopping points for when you end the game become slurred and it's harder for kids to be able to stop. Like they're engaged in Minecraft and it's not like, oh, to the next level. So you have to help them define those stopping points. For the, for the younger kids, it's a little bit clearer um, where those stopping points might be. And again, if you're co-watching or co-consuming uh, with them, then you'll be able to say, okay, I think we've had enough for today. Um, talk about commercials. Talk about advertising. Um, in the past, I have made a recommendation for folks, in addition to commonsense.org, I have referred folks to Online Mom. And I went back to it yesterday and it was really interesting because I went to the about in their mission statement and it is no longer what it used to be. It used to be about a mom who from her home was blogging about the challenges of, of supporting her children in the digital age. It is now heavily sponsored by Verizon, Google, you know, all these tech folks <laughs> and it's actually about being influencers and making sure, connecting with people so that they use your product. And so while there are recommendations on how you can parent around and with technology, those are the conversations we need to have with our kids. It's like, who's behind this? What is their interest in having you use their products? And I think that was part of the message with the article in the New York Times about Silicon Valley. 
Like they know too much. They know exactly how they've designed the platforms and the products to kind of engage kids in, in using them. Um, encourage creation as well as consumption. There are lots of platforms where kids can be creative and building and designing and so forth. And that really is uh, specifically in third grade our intent and so even in the beginning of the year the kids don't even touch the technology because they're doing design thinking and building with cardboard and so forth and thinking about solving problems before we turn them on to things like scratch and we do and building and, and doing some robotic type activities. Super important to talk about digital citizenship. How you show up in the real world is how you should show up online. Responsible, respectful, <coughs> um, preserving your privacy, we, do a, we have a lot of conversations with kids about digital footprint and the fact that even though you think it went away, it's still out there. Did you know that, there's a number out there, 40% of um, school recruiters, admissions offices check people's presence online and they make decisions based on admissions, based on what they see? So those are conversations we'll have with the kids in the middle school and it's important for you to have those conversations with your kids. Like this stuff, it seems like it's going away, but it's not going to. And then the, I think the trickiest piece for us is um, modeling the kind of behavior that you want the kids to, to demonstrate. There's a slide here. I'll, I'll, I'll not wait to get to it. I'll tell you right now that the, the average, I don't like the fact that they use the word tween because it means they're like between. And I don't know if it's any better they say preteen. But children, you know, 10 to 12, they, can, they are in front of screens about six hours a day. Teenagers nine hours a day. Adults, mm. <laughs> more than nine hours a day. So we need to be modeling for them what that, and we need to create these like device-free zones, dinner times, car, you know, whatever works again for your family where we say we're all gonna put it down. Because I will tell you that middle school and high school students are so good at sniffing out hypocrisy and saying you're telling me one thing but you're doing something else. <clears throat> Um, yeah, it's really good. It's a little scary. Yes, like we're in where you're spending your time, right? Which which apps you're spending your time on? Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics says for children eight or older, they should be spending two hours or less on screens a day. Um, for children less than five, less than an hour, and. Again, it's really important for children less than five, two years between two and five, that there's an interactive piece, that they're with an adult. There's no academic gain if, if there isn't an adult having that experience with them. Um, so if you think that they're learning Italian or something by just putting them in front of the iPad as an infant, the research is showing that that's not really gonna be that productive. That doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think most of us might fall on this, you know, A, B, C, and D. We want all of these things to happen to some extent. Um, and there are choices. We need to be really choosy in what we put in front of our children. So this is really probably a slide for younger kids. Um, you want to ask yourself, is it developmentally appropriate? Are there ads? Are there privacy, privacy settings that you can set? Um, are there chat features? Some golden go-tos that you can always use for, for young people, uh, PBS and Sesame Street, they're, they're all still the gold standard for, for um, screening with kids. Um, commonsense.org, we've already said, you know, they can help you figure out what is developmentally appropriate and they have ratings in terms of violence and um, sexual material and all kinds of things. Um, 
interesting. They make a point about making conscious choices, and they say if you have the TV on in the background, that is a choice you are making, and the kids are sucking up what they're being exposed to. So if the news is on, and the kids are hearing about what happened in Pittsburgh, and they don't have a space to talk about it and process it, they're going to be anxious. It's going to be on their minds. So be really thoughtful about that. NPR, in the car, on the way to work, those kids are sucking up that news. And I, as an adult, I need to turn it off sometime and go with the option of classical music because it's too much. So just be thinking about the things that you don't think are conscious choices are actually conscious choices, and you want to either you know, be really intentional about what your kids are being exposed to. First grade kids podcast as well. Yeah. I mean, there's tons of stuff out there. And I can tell you what kind of our... Yeah. And we have books on tape, too, um, in the library. So you can always check in with the libraries and check out a book on tape. Um, you want to look and see who designed the things that they're consuming. Were there educators involved in the design of it? Is it well-researched? Um, and I mentioned those other things. And if there are reviews. And again, commonsense.org is a great place for checking out reviews. Another interesting bit in some of the research and putting this together is um, being intentional about choosing technology if it delivers an experience only a screen can provide. And that actually, I brought that to our, the first grade team yesterday because I was thinking, let's think about how we're using technology in our first grade push-in model. So Ethan, our tech teacher, goes in twice a cycle. And we set it up that way so that he could support some of the literacy centers that are going on. And he's actually been doing a really nice job in presenting different writing process platforms for the first graders. Um, but I know in the past, there's some things that we've, been, we've used, like brain pop. And that makes me think, are we being as intentional as we could be? Do the kids need to be watching a video to have access to their information? Or would they be better served by reading a book? So those are the kinds of conversations we have at school. I encourage you to have those conversations at home, too. Is there some other experience that your child could be having, having that would be more meaningful as opposed to putting them in front of a screen? As kids get older, as I said before, they want more independence. If you think back to um, you know, fourth and fifth grade, definitely into middle school, it was really about your friendships and your peer group. And it was really about exploring your own identity. And so kids want to have space to do that. And there was a really nice piece that Carol Moes shared with Pam and I um, that I read last night. And it's all about social media in independent schools. And what they said was, um, it's called Trend Lines, the Future of Social Media and Education. And initially they say that we're all kind of playing the waiting game, hoping social media would just go away. and We could just say, oh, we don't have to deal with this. And, they, and their recommendations now for schools, anyways, is, you know what? Engage in it as a, in, in a proactive, positive way. It's not going away. Make it, integrate it into the curriculum. Provide opportunities for kids to be their best and to really demonstrate their ideals through social media. As opposed to this construct of, I show up in person one way, and on digital media, my presence is something else, and I'm going to portray myself as something else. Integrate the two so the kids get a really strong sense of who they are, and they present their best to the world. Um, the other recommendation is that they use these platforms for a voice for change and leadership and positive uh, change in the world. And I thought those were really good messages because we all know, we've all been adolescents, as soon as your parents say, oh, don't do that and it's prohibited, it's like, wow, I'm drawn to it. I've got to figure out what that thing is. And so I think you want to kind of fold that into 
you know, as you get there, as you get into middle school and adolescence with your children, how can you open up a dialogue with them, set parameters that are healthy, and support them in being responsible without shutting down the conversation? So again, that balance. It sounds really easy, doesn't it? <laughs> um, so greater independence. You want to be looking when they're you know, asking to have exposure to different platforms. You know, are there chatting possibilities? Are they going to be exposed to other people from other communities? Can you limit that? Um, I mentioned the clear stopping points. Um, but really, they're going to be looking to use social media more and more to because that's where kids connect. There's, a, there's another bit in the, um, a, a, the Academy of um, American Pediatrics that says a correlation between screen use and depression. And it's not exactly what you might think it is, or it wasn't for me anyways. Kids who have, it's kind of an inverted U, kids who have no exposure or way too much exposure are the kids who are um, inclined to become depressed or depressive. The kids who sit kind of in that sweet spot in between where they have some exposure and they use it responsibly and is an interactive place to socialize and connect with friends are not reporting feelings of depression. Does that make sense? <clears throat> um, again, you know, what, what are preteens and adolescents all about? They want to you know, figure out their identity, connect with peers. Um, and it was funny, what occurred to me was when I was that age, or even as a child, you had the, that kind of neighborhood feel where you went outside and you connected with people outside of school hours. And, and parenting and society has changed in a way that the kids are s scheduled into activities that are overseen by adults. They don't have a lot of free form connecting with their peers. This is the space where they're doing it. So we need to figure out how we can support them in having healthy interactions with their peers. Now, I'm not advocating that you never look and see what their chats are all about, but what they recommend is that you do it in a proactive way and say, you know what, when we sign our family media contract, I'm telling you this is what I'm going to be doing. Periodically, I'm going to go in and check your chatting and see what's going on. If I see anything that's kind of objective, then we're going to have a conversation about it. Um, the other thought that occurred to me as I was a preteen, adolescent, was I spent a lot of time on the phone. And there wasn't really a I mean, it was a landline, right? Rotary phone, landline. Um, In the kitchen, everybody could hear you. That's what I'm saying. It was a very public place. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I, if I could have been left to my own devices, I would have been on the phone all day and all night. But there were real time and physical constraints about how much exposure I had to it. And so, you know, my parents were like, okay, that's enough. Knock it off. Um, but it also helped me. me make good choices about what I was going to say and deliver. I wasn't going to go into a whole gossip session on the phone because my mom might be hearing what I was saying and that wouldn't feel okay. And so we want to deliver the same message for our kids that you're going to help them create limits and boundaries around when they can and can't use the, the, their devices. But also, again, how they show up in social media needs to be consistent with who they are on the playground and who they are in person. They shouldn't say anything on social media that they wouldn't say to someone's face. And that is a, I mean, that's not a one-time conversation. It's like the sex conversation. It needs to happen over and over and over and over again. Um, uh, what else do we have here? Uh, same message, same child, you know, think about your adolescence, your pre-adolescence, the things that you are aspiring for in terms of independence. It's the same idea. Um, common sense, they do a lot of focus groups and get a lot of feedback from 
kids about their experiences with media. And this, this is just interesting. It's not about the technology, it's about my friendships. That's what I want to be connecting to. So our job is to be the training wheels and support them. Give them some exposure, let them ride, but don't take the training wheels away too soon. Um, we all hear about the worst case scenarios out there. You hear about awful things. They're not as common as you think they are. They're fairly ra rare. In fact, there's a statistic, I think, later on in the presentation that online bullying is like 15% uh, there are 15 percent cases of bullying online, 20% real-life bullying. So you know, we, we fall into that, oh my gosh, we're going to freak out about social media. The worst case scenarios are, are not as bad, but when they do happen, they're things that we need to be paying attention to and, and supporting our kids to navigate them. Um, do construct a family tech plan. That's a really nice, proactive way to, to support your family and your children. Uh, when to get a phone? Well, the average age in the United States is 10. You do not need to fold. Michael Kaplan, our consulting psychiatrist, will tell you that if you periodically hear that you are the worst parent on the face of the earth, that is good news. That is your job. <laughs> And you might even hear, I hate you. Well, you're not the only parent who's saying no, but they won't tell you that. So again, this, this community and checking in with each other, it's OK to say no. They will be fine. 75% um, of 12 to 17-year-olds have a phone. You want to you be able to answer these questions uh, affirmatively or it, it, you know, really strongly before you give them that phone. And I am, I'm really old school, I'll tell, I'm, and I'm really lucky. My children are 26 and 25. So they came in when flip, phone, flip phones were the thing. We didn't get to having like the smartphone, so I'm really lucky. But I would say, and I, this is an ongoing argument I have with my partner. I'm like, your daughter is at a sleepover. You do not need to be in touch with her. She is fine. If something happens, they will call you. But we have this because we can. We feel like we need to be checking in with our kids all the time. So I would argue that in many instances, our kids, we don't really need to know where they are 24 hours a day. And it's OK if they're you know, with trusted people or you know what their plan is. Um, but again, I'm kind of old school in that regard. And it all comes back to your own family values. It's so funny. They say again in the literature, like, don't preach to your children. I feel like I'm preaching to you. I'm so sorry about that. It's just, it's <laughs> you all right, Pam? I'm OK. <laughs> Just some more data. What are they doing on their phones? There is a little bit of a gender gap. Here are adolescents, our teenagers. Here are preteens. And that includes YouTube, TV, videos, music. Um, most kids have a portfolio of social media that they use, so they're not, they're not you know, just subscribing to like Snapchat or something. They've got a host of different things. And it says here, preteens, they spend 60 hours a day on entertainment concurrently. So even when they're entertaining themselves, they're multitasking, mm. which is not effective, by the way. Uh, last night, or getting organized for this, I was like, oh, watch your TV. Oh, you're watching the Patriots. No, multitasking does not work doesn't work, and much less for adolescents and uh, your preteens. So that, those are 
those are a lot of messages that I had to share. Pam is going to talk a little bit more um, about social media. Yeah, and yes. yes. I think it's the whole kit and caboodle. I don't know if, it, if it, the data they give for adults includes work, work time. Yeah. So I'm assuming then they might be including school time as well. Um, so you can kind of take that into to consideration. How much time do they spend? It depends. Kindergarten, um, so K through three, we, the kids that have access to iPads, kindergarten, they haven't yet been exposed to the iPad. That'll come in this second part of the year. And there are a couple of literacy and math platforms that we'll use because they're adaptive um, and they're really good instructional tools. We also historically have used, uh, like had listening centers. And so again, we, it just makes sense to use an iPad for that. The kids can accompany and listen to a story and in some instances be recorded as they're listening to their story. Um, and then there's the creative piece where they'll do some recording for their, um, their end of year question about how is foot school like a family. So that's the second part of the year. I'm going to say maximum. What do you think is fair, Alexander, in kindergarten? Half an hour? Maximum? Yeah. Great. Um, first, uh, first grade, I'm going to say half an hour. Uh, maybe the same. Probably, we, we have built in to support the literacy program. We've got it twice a cycle, so maybe half an hour, probably less than that. Same thing with second grade. Third grade, um, it's a little bit different because they have now twice a cycle, a STEM class. But as I said before, they haven't even really gotten onto the technology yet because they're building stuff with cardboard and marshmallows and whatnot. And, and they haven't. I just talked to Ethan about that, and he said, no, we, we've not looked at the screen yet. I said, that's great. Yeah. yeah. And then fourth, in, fourth through sixth grade, um, they have Chromebooks. So the writing process is on uh, a one-to-one -one Chromebook. And again, that's a vehicle for us, too, because that's when kids are going to start to make silly decisions about oh, let me get into your work and erase something or put something s foolish. Those are conversations about digi digital citizenship and um, being responsible with technology. And then they also have, um, what is it in the middle school? They have iPad, uh, laptops. Chromebooks. Chromebooks all the way through? All the way through. So four, okay. starting in fourth grade all the way through ninth they grade. They no, it stays they, in school. It stays in school. Okay. So they're each assigned, everybody's assigned a Chromebook, a school-owned Chromebook and they're housed in charging stations and they are for use throughout the day as the teachers see fit and then uh, they get put back in at the end of the day and charged up and they don't go home. When do you recommend you get a computer that's for use, like a computer computer for them at home? Hmm. Is there, is there a, fam like is there a family like computer? computer? Yeah, but like when do you recommend they start using that for like papers and things? And Assignments, when do they start getting assignments? Well, they homework require. kicks in in third grade, but none of it will really be, for the most part, on the computer. Uh, I know middle school gets, I mean, they get a fair, amount of, a fair amount of homework that needs to go, okay. that does go home. They do have a study hall, yeah. um, but a, a, home, a home computer, that, and that's the beauty of us being on G Suite and using Google, is that they can do, start something here and then log in to their account yeah. and, then, and then continue it at home. Right, so there's no real need for their own personal device. But in the Google Classroom, like, I have a 
on homework. Yeah. Specific things. Right, right. But working together. Yeah, I think that starts as they get older. Yeah. Um, I think mostly for seniors, starting sixth grade, they have almost to do that all homework on the computer. Mm. And in fifth grade, it's like not, kind so, of a much. not yeah. so much. Getting there, but not a lot. Right. But sixth grade, jump in and then do everything. Right, because you're composing all of your work through, yeah. So Beth actually touched on a lot of things that are covered um, that, that I I'm going to talk about as well. So I may be flicking through these a little bit quickly, too, because I think we're only supposed to be here till what? 9.15, and mm -hmm. folks need to peel away before that. Feel yeah, free feel to free. Do that. So we're recording the presentation, so if you want to share it with someone, it'll be... C499 is all you need to, yeah, that's all you need to know is to get in there. So, I mean, I thought a lot of people think that social media alienates kids, and in actuality, it's, it's actually pulling kids together, so that's really a myth. Um, it, it strengthens their relationships. Um, I'll, let me expose all of these here. So it gives you some, a, few, a few numbers, right? 57% of all teens have made new friends online. 84% um, of boys who played network games with friends feel more connected when they play online. And teen social media users have online friends support them through tough and challenging times. So it's actually pulling folks together. But even having said all that, I will tell you that I'm a big, huge proponent for more of the face-to-face -face stuff. This is, is great, but in moderation, as we've been saying throughout. So what are they doing online? Where are they going? And as Beth alluded to, they're, they're doing all sorts of things. It's not just one platform that they're on. It's, it's a variety of things. But what's increasing right now is the use of live streaming and video chatting. So they're doing more and more of that. That seems to be more on the rise, um, which I thought was interesting. This live.me, I actually went to go see what this was. And apparently, they've changed their name. It's called Twitch.com. And <clears throat> I got sucked in for quite a bit into Twitch. It's online gaming. And it's these people that have these elaborate setups. And they are playing their game. And so there's a little, like, there'd be a little tiny little screen here of the person playing the game all mic'd up and looking at their screen. And the rest of this screen would be what they're doing. <clears throat> and so I sort of, there were some high, about five or six highlighted games and gamers. So I was kind of going through it. And my, my speakers in the office were on pretty loud. And this one guy just started with this language because he got shut up and killed and was very upset by it. But it's just interesting. Their, their kids are going on to play a game. So that seems to be what Twitch is about. Um, of gamers, yeah, big gamers. So they're, they're doing that. But in the meantime, too, my nephews, and I go home for Christmas, they all want to be able to hook up and play their games, which we limit so that we're, so we get together once a year because we're all over the place. Let's look at each other and have a conversation instead of being on TV. But they're mic'd up, and they're communicating with folks. So that's what they do, and that's how they're connecting. Um, it seems odd to us, but that's the, that's the new reality. So. Social media red, red flags, right? And I think this is going to be really important. I used to worry about if parents would ask specific questions about what app is doing what, right? What's the app to watch out for? I think at this point in time, we, we shouldn't be worrying about what the in-app is. Instead, when we're looking at apps that our children are using, we should be looking at the key features 
that are in the apps. That's the more important part because apps are going to come and go. Some are going to be fads, some are going to stick around, but what are the features in there that you as a parent need to look out for with your children? <clears throat> is it age appropriate in content, right? Is there easy access to some stuff that you don't want them to see, be it violence, substance use, even sort of pornography? Keep an eye out for that. Um, <clears throat> If it has a feed in it, what is in that feed and who are in those feeds? What's, what are the messages? So t take a look at that as well. Um, public default settings. When your child is on that app, and if it's an app that they can post to, does that post to everybody or does it post to only to their friends? So take a look. I know Instagram, by default, when you're posting to Instagram, it goes everywhere. It's public. You actually have to go in and change that setting so that it's not public and only goes to the people that are following you on Instagram. So it's really important to know to know those features. Yes, Beth. Am I incorrect in saying that most of these things need to be touch screen? Can use them on Instagram and Facebook. You're signing you're signing off saying, yes, I'm thirteen. I don't think you're incorrect. I think thirteen thirteen seems to be the default like Facebook's thirteen. Most of them are thirteen, Beth, yeah. You know, I, I'll get to that in a future slide, but I just, that's a really, really good question. I think it's more about the dialogue and the conversation and having those conversations with kids. I don't know how to use it. I'm not even going to tell them But you know it's something Right. I mean, let, let, I'll get to that. that. That will come up. I mean, I, there, that, that certainly blocking everything is one way of dealing with it. All of these things are things for you to look at in terms of the apps or the, the software programs that your, your kids are using. Location tracking and sharing, does it do that? And if it does, how do you turn that off? And do you want them using it if it's doing that? Um, Real-time video streaming, how do you feel about that? You know, what kinds of things can pop up on a real-time video? Maybe you don't want them to be involved in an app that does that. Apps, ads and in-app purchases, I will tell you, there was a situation at this previous school that I worked at that a parent did not realize they had given access to their own iTunes account. Child bought an app that had in-app purchases. What are those apps promoting? They're promoting getting to the next level. But in order to get to the next level, you need this weapon, that weapon, this thing, that thing. So you buy those things. You buy those things. Well, the bill came. The bill came, and the parent was floored at how much money had gotten spent and the fact that they didn't know it. So we had to have a huge conversation. We did one of these and talked about all this stuff. So that's why they're doing these, these apps within app purchases to help, you know, if I can't get to it by going through the different levels in the game and I want to get there quicker, I can do it by buying those things. So you need to take a look. Does it do that? Oh, really? Interesting. Via Amazon. Um, temporary pics and videos, those are actually, those were a big huge fad where they would, you know, Snapchat used to be all temporary. They've changed that now. Um, and, and showing kids that temporary isn't really temporary, there's such a thing as a screenshot, so something that you think is temporary is going to disappear, 
There's no such thing. That doesn't happen. Um, are some of them do. Yeah, yeah. Subpar reporting tools. Is there a spot? So Facebook, if, if somebody's going back and forth with you on Facebook and, and, and it's, it's making you uncomfortable, you can report that. In those apps that kids are using, can they do that? Is that available in that app? Or is it not? Is it easy to find? Is it difficult to find? Anonymity. You don't want kids on apps where they're anonymous because anon being anonymous typically promotes much more negative behavior. It pulls out more of the negative side because it's, you're not putting a name to a face and you, you feel freer to say what you, you wouldn't otherwise say in person. Um, and then the whole cyberbullying negative culture, does an app promote that? Is, is it that in that feed? Is that the culture of that particular app? So really dive in and take a look. We had a situation in kindergarten this year where we realized as we shifted to Google, the Google platform to do the blog that it was easy enough to do a search online and boom you could get to our blog and our assumption was that if it was behind our parent portal password you wouldn't be, be able to have that access. So families came to us and said this is of concern to us. Um, we are actually piloting another website to see if that addresses the security issues that we had. Mm -hmm. but it's, it's a moving target all the time. If you see things that don't feel right to you or if you notice things, let us know because we're happy to work with you and respond to whatever feedback you give us, but sometimes it takes a little bit of problem solving and uh, detective work to figure out what's at play. So right now, we're, for this particular person in their blog, we're piloting uh, a new blog behind it's actually through our website. Yeah, hosted site. on our website. So right. it's definitely got the firewall to block out anybody who's not part of our community. Right. The downside of that is you will have to log in to see the website and you won't be able to as easily offer access to grandparents and extended family in other places. But if you share out your password with them, which you're not supposed to do, they would be able to have access to it. <laughs> All of that to say, if something doesn't feel right to you, then come and ask us, and we're happy to kind of sit and talk to you. And, and but we're not. I mean, as far feedback. as all the information, the digital information that we have, that stays here. That doesn't get sold anywhere. That's that stays within the foot community. Um, yeah. I don't know if that was the question. I wasn't sure. Um. There is a digital, it's, that's the AUP, the authorized use, per, so you should be able to find it yeah. a, a specifically related to technology, and then if you have questions about it, let us know. But it's in the parent handbook. Um, recommended apps for parents to use to monitor and control all devices in the house, including internet connectivity, television, iPads, pods, etc. I'm telling you right now, just given what's going on in terms of internet service providers, I, I had I had the Disney one that you were talking about. I had done a bunch of research on all that. At this point, I wouldn't even bother with those. I would call my ISP and say, listen, do you do this? And what does it take for me to get to that point? Because I think most of them are. And it, it's, so, it's so easy. I mean, it's just unbelievably easy to, to, to so set it can, up. So it can set off a timer to shut everything yeah, down? Yeah, the whole nine it, But yards. it can also block It can block, dividers. it can set up the, yep. It can help with the content filtering. It can set up time limits for you. It can shut your kids off, but leave your devices on. I mean, all these different. Things. The drill down, the drill, the drill down is really good. The yeah. different ones. So they're not them themselves, but they're if you're using, if they're exactly their modem will do that. It's built in. Yeah.
Screen time, great. So screen time on the iOS app, uh, yeah. right, right yeah. in the phone. Yeah. So upgrade great. your phones if you're like me and you've been putting on, like Jamie, like, oh, geez, again? My phone's going to shut down pretty soon. Um, let's see. What about using sort of question. Like, yeah, yeah. 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 Whatever works for your family, then yes. And again, commonsense.org will have other resources for you. Um, it's a great resource. I mean, it really is. I can't say enough about it. Yeah, they're 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 very it's it and it's it is common. I mean, right? They they take a common sense approach to it. So, is it worth grouping rules with your kids like you do in class? Sort of like, what are our class rules? That's what the family media plan is. Okay. So, Pam, can you pull it up? Um, you it's you you create a contract with your family and you say this is what we agree to, and he, you know you might even have an opportunity to what are the consequences if you kind of violate the rules that we're establishing here. But you can really proactively design. And they actually that works have it online, and you can grab it, and you can decide how you wanna, how do you wanna use it. Just a quick question about a much smaller topic than social media, which um, that's probably less impactful. But music um, is a big issue in our house about who's controlling it when, who, how, when it gets played, and. Parts of me wondered whether this ability to constantly skip in and out of songs is, is, you know, in a way that we couldn't when we were kids. Right. Like it limits the experience of, of music. But are things like listening to music while um, doing reading or, or doing is something that we should be discouraging. My daughter has this thing she likes of like sitting down doing math problems and listening to headphones. And I'm so amazed that she's doing math problems. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, OK, <laughs> but that's great. Right. But is this, um, you know, is music um, something that we should be treating exactly like screen time? or? I, I love the idea of having a conversation with your child about, and, and I often will say this in my household, could we listen to the whole song? Like I, I'm just kind of getting into it, and there's yeah. something about kind of sticking with it and through it to appreciate it fully. Can we, if we're going to listen to music together, this is kind of my preference. Can we can we honor that? Um, every everyone's a little bit different. I can't. I have a funny story to share with you. Um, years ago, I worked in a school, and the superintendent. Every time I was in his office, he had classical music playing. And finally, I said to him, Joe, I don't, I can't hear you. I'm listening to the music. Like I really can't concentrate on what you're saying. And he said. Well, you know how I put the classical music on, right? And I said, because you enjoy it? It's, it's hard for me to be productive, but because you enjoy it? He said, no, 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 so other people can't hear what we're talking about. And I, thought, I was like, what? Got a little blown away. All of that to say <laughs> that some folks can listen to music and be productive. Yes. So I would check out what your child is producing and saying, wow, it's pretty accurate. It's pretty OK. Good right. for you. You can do that so long as it's working for you. The moment it's not working for you anymore, we're going to change our approach here. Yeah, because sometimes the silence drives the, yeah. is more distracting than, than the music. Yeah, so each child is going to be a little bit different. You want to investigate that. Now, multitasking, when they get a little bit older, and they've oh. got the music, and they've got the chat feature, and they've got the other screen, and the YouTube, and the, all these things going simultaneously, that is not productive. No, and, and they can't do it. And you can't be productive and, and get, get any one thing done well and focused and get anything out of it. 
So that just, might, you might start to have the conversation with her now and just say, okay, this is working for you, listening to the music and doing your math. Let's, let's keep a tab on it and see how this develops because later on when you get homework, you might, you know, more systematically, you might not be able to be distracted by all these different things. That's one of the best things you can do to support your child with homework, by the way, is creating a space and a routine for them to do it. Right? Don't do it for them. Don't do it with them unless you really need to and let the teacher know if that's the case. But giving them a dedicated space and routine for completing work and eliminating some distractions, that's a really supportive thing that families can do. My daughter was practicing for SAT, but she had to listen to the classroom music. In general, if she's listening to music and helping her focus, I'm okay. But I told her yesterday, probably not, because you're getting used to music to help you concentrate as you're cooking for a test using strategy. So in those kind of instances, then you better not do it. No, because they're, you're not going to be allowed to listen to music in the test. Right, right. right. So you have like a real world of application. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I would direct you to PBS Kids, and I would send you maybe back to Sesame Street, and then I would say go to commonsense.org and see what feels like it's gonna meet kind of your needs and interests and Levi's interests. Um, because they do, they break it down by age and by what it does. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's nicely it, broken down in terms of what the skill it's addressing and. And then you can talk to the classroom teacher or if there are specific things that you wanna target, ask them. There are tools that we use, um, we're pretty, we're very intentional about what we're using. We want it to be adaptive and responsive to the kids. We want it to like uh, line up with our mission and our kind of pedagogical approach to, to teaching. And so we actually have, for the lower school, like three go-to apps that we are oftentimes referring families out to employ. Um, sometimes they work for kids, sometimes they don't. Sometimes kids actually tell us, I just want paper and pencil. I don't want to be doing this online stuff. Mm. Um, but if, it, if, there's more of a, if you're thinking more of an academic something, then check in with Margie and she should be able to give you some support and maybe Heather too. Yeah. Yeah, it starts yeah. off slowly, and then, right, yeah, and then iPads up and through through third grade, and then moves into and Google for the. No, I don't think she. Okay, thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, if you have other feedback for us, if you have other talks that you'd like to have happen, then let us know. We're trying to be more planful in terms of getting the dates to you ahead of time, and so we'll aspire to do that moving forward.